Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. Uh, if you're brand new, uh, we're in the middle of a series titled, I Believe. Everybody say, I believe. We have said this from the beginning. This is one of the thesis, the ethos, why we're saying it. It's simply this. Your beliefs will affect your behaviors. And it's so important to God. I'll show you even right here, something that's celebrated in Romans 4, 3. It says this. For the scripture tells us Abraham was perfect, so God counted his righteousness. No, it doesn't say that. Abraham was the nicest guy, so God counted his righteousness. No, no, no. God, uh, God saw Abraham tried the hardest out of everybody. No, it says, for scripture tells us Abraham believed God and counted him as righteous because of his faith. So many people want to be this great Christian. They want to be the best Christian possible. Can I just tell you that religion is mechanical and the gospel is relational? And so what happens with the religious view of wanting to be great for God is we basically it's almost like taking bricks and building your own little monument to yourself. But really, if you want to be great for God, just start believing God. Start believing his word. And not only believing, but start obeying his word. I, I, I love this uh, verse in Romans 12. It's a, it's a famous verse. Uh, Do not copy the behavior and customs of this world. But let God transform you into a new person. And Christianity is not some self-help thing. It is a transformation. It is death to life, cursing a blessing. It goes on to say, by changing the way you think. You want to change your life? You've got to change the way you think. You've got to change your beliefs. You just came to change your beliefs. So many people in the Bay Area think God is this angry God. We want to change the beliefs and have them say, taste and see that God is good. Come on. It goes on to say, then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Stop. So we started this series a few weeks ago. Uh, I believe in revival is what I was talking about. One of my quick little points was, it says the word of God will revive your soul. So I made this amazing statement. I loved it. Who loved the I believe in revival message? I loved it. If you haven't heard it, go listen to it. Not a lot of you loved it. So never, maybe, maybe not. Um, I loved it because here's why. It made me go, man, like God, you could really do something in the Bay Area that none of us could do that you could turn this thing upside down, that people could be saved, those who are far from God could come near to God, those who are broken could be restored, those who think they have no hope could find hope. Man, it's one of those, one of those messages. Those who feel so lethargic and apathetic could be revived to the promises of their life. And so one of my, messages, uh, one of my points was, the word says that those who read the word of God will be revived by the word of God. It's in Psalms. It's an amazing verse. So uh, I just, I got to come and tell myself a little bit because uh, it sounds almost like, okay, you read it and everything's all better. No, no, no. There's more to the story than just reading the Bible. Uh, Rachel and I, for this 21 day of prayer and fasting, one thing that we decided to do is, hey, let's read our Bible at nighttime and then let's pray uh, for our church. Uh, how spiritual does that sound, right? Come on now. I thought of it. I'm trying to leave my home well, whatever. Um, follow me, sweetie, to the promise. Okay, anyways. Uh, so first night, we start reading the Bible and praying and we get in a fight. And again, Rachel and I, first of all, we weren't doing it to revive our marriage. We're doing pretty good. We're in a good pocket. Don't be like, oh my gosh, what's wrong with Tyler and Rachel? We're good. Okay. Uh, we're doing great. Uh, we're a little sad the Seahawks lost, but it's all good. Um, so she's a huge Hawk fan too. We had, to, we had to process that. And so uh, we started fighting the first night, reading the Bible. I was like, oh, that's weird. You know, night two, we got to fight again. And then night three, we get another three nights in a row reading the Bible and praying. We were fighting. But the third night, it was like over the top. Like, um, so here's just how, where are my morning people at real quick? Who likes to wake up early in the morning? My people, thank you. I, I like to get in bed around 9 o'clock, not a lot later. Want to settle down, want to get, you know, get relaxed and fall asleep around 10 and wake up at 5 and then dominate the day the next day. This is how I like to live. Now, who are the people who are like, what is a clock? What is time? I go to bed whenever. Who's that? Raise your hand. That's my wife. Like, she's like, what is time? I, I believe it's more of a theory than a real thing. No, it's real. All right. 
And so I'm like, hey, babe, come to bed. I want to read the Bible. I got to pray. And she's like, I got to finish a few things up. And I was like, okay. And then it was like 9.45. I was like, babe, come to bed. I want to read the Bible, pray, and then I want to watch Friends. Come on. We got to, let's be spiritual. The trifecta. All right. Come on. Come on. And um, I was like, I'm, I'm waking up early. I got, you know, and, she, and then it's like 10.30. So finally, I've just lost it. I'm like, do you even value reading the word? Do you value prayer? You know, just over the top, okay? And um, now I think it is economical. I think it's a good thing to read your Bible at 9 o'clock and get in bed. My wife thinks it's a controlling thing. I don't know, whichever one. I just think it's good. She thinks it's controlling. Pray for both of us, right? So she gets in bed finally at 1045, and we're reading the Bible. And like this is just and even when she was getting in the room to read the Bible, I was like, well, this sure is fun reading the Bible with you. And I was like... Just open your Bible up, all right? Um, let's pray. And so anyways, um, we start reading. And I open up the Bible, we're in Philippians. And it, right in Philippians, it starts going, uh, to be tenderhearted, to be humble, to serve. And I was like, I turn your Bible to Leviticus. We're in Leviticus tonight. I want, I want us to read about the law, all right? I want, I want you to know about the law, all right? And so uh, we're going to learn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so, but we're already in Philippians, so I couldn't get rid of Philippians at the moment. And it hit me, like, it's pretty easy, actually, to read the Word of God, but man, to actually allow it to, like, tell you what you're supposed to do. And at that moment, I was like, do I believe, actually, this is the best decision of my life? To be tenderhearted, to be humble, to serve my wife, to think of her better than myself, and just go, okay, babe, you made a huge mistake, but I forgive you. <laughs> We're still working through it. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> But can I just tell you real quick, if you actually want to uh, have the things God has for you to become what God's called you to be, you can't just read your word. You've got to believe the word, and then you've got to obey the word. Can I get an amen for that? And so the top of my message today is I believe in the little things. I believe in the little things. Small uh, little side uh, topic for my message is called the seed and the yeast, the yeast and the seed. Jesus calls sin yeast. We're going to talk about it. It's a very little thing that makes a big difference. Then he calls the word of God a seed, a very small, fragile thing, but can make the greatest difference in your life. Is this making sense at all? All right, so I believe in the little things. Let's look at a verse real quick. One of the most famous verses in the Bible, and I am convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love. Woof. Amen for that one. Amen. Nothing. That's, I mean, that's a, nothing can separate us. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither, uh, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. Another amen. Amen. Come on, this is, this is an amen verse. Amen is agreement, okay? We're gonna agree with this. No power in the sky above all the earth below, indeed nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Woo, okay. Now let's read the next verse. Here we go, Luke 16, 10. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. Amen. A little less, but that's okay. All right, um, very big contrast here. I want to hear something real quick. The gospel is very clear. The Bible is very clear. You cannot earn God's love. You cannot earn it. You cannot lose it. But trust, God's trust, you can earn it and you can lose it. And sometimes I feel like because we hear this verse about love, we think it's just everything. I can do whatever I want because nothing will separate me from God. No, no, no. It says this, that those who can be trusted with a little, then can be trusted with much. But the thing that's happened in our culture is we don't love the little things. We love the big things. We fall in love with the big home run. We fall in love with the, the, the big success story. But what happens is we don't even know how they got to the success story. Success story. It's a really hard word. Don't judge me. You don't think that, he, uh, uh, that God actually, uh, you can learn trust or earn trust? Turn your Bibles to Matthew 25. Let's, uh, let's look what uh, Jesus shows in this parable. This is just the intro. We're going to get into the yeast and the weed in just a second. Master gives five, two, and one. 
some uh, theologians believe it was gold, silver, and copper, but basically it was a thing of value to these three uh, people that were called to steward it. It was based on their abilities. So just give you a heads up, everybody in this story has ability, and everybody in this room, you have an ability. All of you, and God is going to entrust things to you. And if you actually steward them well, watch what God does with your life. So then it, it, let's pick up in verse, uh, verse 18. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they used his money. The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I have earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I'll give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. I love that. The character of our God. He comes and says, well done, good and faithful servant. Oprah Winfrey said this in an interview. What's, the, uh, what is, uh, what's something fascinating about your career? She goes, you know, after every interview, uh, King's uh, famous actors would ask me this thing. Did I do a good job? Because it is in our knitting, our fabric to hear, good job. But the problem is there's not enough praises from people to satisfy what you want to hear. Because you're not supposed to hear from people. You're supposed to hear from your father and say, well done, good and faithful servant. This is what's happening in this thing. My man, thank you. Let's go. Um, <laughs> then the servant with two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I've earned two more. The master said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, this little amount, the little things. So now I'll give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. You know what I love about this picture real quick? Is the celebration magnitude is the same, even though the amounts are different. And I think sometimes at church we think that heaven is celebrating more, you know, the person who is um, playing the electric guitar or doing this instead of the person who's making the coffee. No, the kingdom of heaven is celebrating the same amount because they love people who serve the kingdom. Can I just highlight real quick? Lacey, uh, where's Lacey? Is Lacey in the room? The worship team usually does first and third service. Lacey wasn't even supposed to play this morning. Our... Um, uh, um, uh, our keyboardist, I don't know if they say their name because they were at the ER, appendicitis, so they couldn't come this morning. Lacey at 6 a.m. wakes up, comes and plays keys. So we said, Lacey, go give her a high five. Does that sound good? Yeah. yeah okay, cool. Okay. Uh, amen. Amen. Okay. Good talk. Uh, let's keep going. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy. Oh, I'm fast forwarding. I'm excited. Uh, verse 24. Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, master, I knew you were a harsh man harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. We could preach on that right there. The, the scripture shows a lot of uh, scholars think this is actually the Pharisee uh, that he's uh, speaking to at this moment, has a terrible view of God. What he believed of the master, it's not even true. This is not our God. When you read a parable, it's a short story with a big truth. So don't read it like an allegory. Every single thing goes across. That's not how this works. You got to have scripture interpret scripture. So this person has a bad view of God, so therefore is a bad steward of the things of God. And so the bad view says, oh, you're, you're a harsh boss. Harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. Man, isn't it fascinating? Like, who did you hear that from? Who have you heard about what God is? Who, who, who's your source? Who have you heard about Jesus? And why have you heard, like, like what, what is your view of God and where did you get it? Because you actually didn't get in here because a lot of people are going to say, well, I'm not, I tried the whole Christianity thing. I'm just not a big fan. I'm like, you know, never, nobody actually experiences the love of Jesus, the power of Jesus, the redemption of Jesus, the satisfaction of Jesus and go, I tried it, I'm not a big fan. It's the greatest thing on the planet. You tried religion, you're not a big fan, but you may never tried Jesus. Preach. Um, but the master replied, you wicked lazy servant. If you knew I'd harvest the crops, I didn't plant and gather crops, I didn't cultivate. Why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten uh, some interest on it. Then he ordered to take the money from the servant and give it to the one with the 10 bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this, this is intense, this useless servant out in the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing teeth. 
And if I could just be honest, uh, this, this message is one of those ones where I believe that we're called to steward what God has given us at Mission Church, called to steward what God has given you in your life. All the things that you have, you did not earn it, God gave it to you. Now, what do you do when he gives it to you? So steward it. So let's just look at a simple picture of why the little things are so important about the big things. If you can't steward an hour, how can you steward a day? If you can't steward a day, how can you steward a week? If you can't steward a week, how can you steward a month? If you can't steward a month, how can you steward a year? And if you can't steward a year, how can you steward your life? It all starts with the day. 2019's gone. Again, 80% of people are like, okay, I'm going to live this way this year. And then a couple months goes by, they don't know how to steward the promise. They don't know how to steward their goals. They don't know how to steward actually what's in their heart. Man, the little things of taking care of what God's given you will make the big impact in your life. Can I get an amen? amen. Will you bow your heads with me? Lord, I thank you for what you're showing us in your scripture. And today as we look at your word and see how important it is that it starts as this fragile seed, but oh, gives the greatest return. Lord, I pray that we'd fall in love with your word. I pray that my message would uh, be one that is from the throne room, that my words would fall to the floor and your words would soar. God, we need you. We need you. And everybody said? Okay, so I got a a little bit of bonus content. Can I give you some bonus content? Okay, cool. Good talk. Uh, This is not in my messages. There's verses I just loved that uh, God showed me. Deuteronomy 7.22. The Lord your God will drive out those nations out ahead of you, little by little. Everybody say little by little. Some of you are trying to rush God, and you're trying to rush him to ruin your life. Just give me everything right now. It would crush you. It would destroy you. He goes, he goes, I'm going to give you little by little. You will not clear them away all at once. Otherwise, the wild animals will multiply too quickly for you. If I could just say this, Psalm 8411 says this, that God will withhold no good thing. No good thing. So even right now as a church, a year and 11 months old, I'm like, God, I want a building. Why won't you give us a building? We have had a thousand salvations. We got people setting up and tearing down. We got no parking. I think the flag football people hate us. Give us a building. Give us a building, God. And I read Psalm 8411, and here's what I know. If you don't have it yet, it's not good yet. Because he withholds no good thing. And so I started praying and processing. If I'm being honest, what we're experiencing as a church, as a mobile church, it's so good for us. It stretches us. It makes us not fall in love with a building or a preference. It makes us, if I'm being honest, it makes us mobile. And I, to be honest, I think more dangerous for the kingdom. That we can say, God, if you want us to go to another venue, we'll go to another venue. You want us to worship in a parking lot? We'll worship in a parking lot. This is not American church statements. American church is looking for the best AC, the best seat, and the best parking. But you want people who want to change the world? None of those things matter. Jesus matters. And so little by little. Let's keep going. Uh, Zechariah 4.10, this is what Jesus loves to do with little things. Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin, to see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hand. So when small beginnings, little things happen, we're so bad at celebrating little things as humans. We're terrible at it. Even our own little successes, our own little efforts, our own little things like, okay, I'm going to lead a small group. Man, you better celebrate leading a small group. That's an amazing thing. And so if I could just put it this way, um, if you were a parent and your kid did a little thing, would you be impressed with it? Your kid like says, da-da. You know, like, oh, my gosh, our kid's a genius. Yay. You know, your kid starts crawling. You're like, oh, my gosh, he's going to be an Olympian athlete. He's an Olympian. I tell you, he's going to be an Olympian. He's two years old. He just started crawling. Chill out. A good father celebrates the little things. And a church that sons and daughters knows how to celebrate like their father. We're going to celebrate the little things at our church because they matter. Let's keep going. Uh, 2 Samuel 11. Uh, In the year of the spring of the year where kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israel army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind from Jerusalem. Right now, my top three names for my baby is Zerubbabel and um, Rabbah and Michael Jordan Johnson. 
That's how I'm going to get my kid named Michael Jordan Johnson. Sarah Babel or Michael Jordan Johnson? You pick, baby. Uh, I'm not controlling. I'm giving you the choice. Okay, anyway. Uh, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. Late one afternoon after his midday rest, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. So again, let's look at this. In the spring of the year when the kings normally go to war, it's a little thing. I'm not going to do what I normally do anymore. I don't feel like it. I don't think I should. I'm, I've, I've reached success. I have conquered a lot of things. Do you know that the comfort of the familiar will always be the enemy of the future? So you get comfortable. You're successful. Well, I know I normally used to do this, but now I just, I'm going to settle into life. I'm going to do it a different way. So now he's taking naps in the middle of the day. What? So he takes a nap, goes out and sees uh, Bathsheba. Uh, as he looked out of the city, he noticed a woman, unusual beauty, taking a bath. He sent someone to find out who she was, and he was told that she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite. Stop. If you know the story, basically David sends for her. They sleep together. She gets pregnant. He manipulates to try to get Uriah um, uh, to impregnate her. He won't do it because he's a man of honor, so he has Uriah murdered. So he, mar- he murders uh, Uriah the Hittite, and then he marries Bathsheba, and they lose her first kid. A bunch of pain and heartache. And so the story, when we think about David and Bathsheba, we always think about, oh, he sent for her, and he slept with her, and then he manipulated her. But where did all this massive destruction come from? It came from this verse. In the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war, if David would have been normally doing what he's supposed to be normally doing, this never would have happened. Can I just tell you real quick? You normally forgive, but you decide not to forgive anymore. I normally forgive this, but I'm a little more frustrated. I'm not going to forgive anymore. And then you'll be like, why do I feel so much destruction? How did this happen? You used to normally forgive. I normally usually get plugged into church. I normally am in a small group. I normally have accountability. I normally have a mentor. I normally have this. But for this season, I decided, nah, it's whatever. I'm good this season. I don't need it anymore. It's a little thing. It's not that important. I've been a Christian for 20 years. Who needs me in a small group? I've been saved. I've been through every Bible study. And to be honest, when I go to a small group, I don't really get much out of it. Maybe we're not supposed to get much out of it. Maybe we're supposed to give a lot to it. Can I just be honest? A lot of us feel like we've graduated out of the community of God. You've not graduated the community of God. Pour into the community of God. You have not grown out of anything. I feel like I was yelling at you. I'm sorry. Um, (laughs) It should be normal for a Christian to serve. I normally used to do that, not anymore. It should be normal for a Christian to pray. If you start discounting the little normal things that a Christian is supposed to be and how they're supposed to operate, watch what happens in your life. You can... Very small scripture. God cannot be mocked. You reap what you sow. It's that simple. It says, those who sow in the flesh, reap the flesh. Those who sow in the spirit, reap in the spirit. And so I'll talk to Christians a lot of times. Like, why is this happening to me? I came to church twice in the last two months. What's going on? I even read my Bible for a day. Okay, so the Bible says those who plant little seeds have a little harvest. But those who plant many seeds have a big harvest. Let me put it this way. Some of you, you're planting like an orange tree. And then you get mad at God because you're asking, where's my apples? And God's like, you didn't plant no apples. You you didn't plant anything. Man ruins his life for his own folly, it says in Proverbs, yet his heart rages against the Lord. It is foolish to expect fruit when you're not planting. You ruin your life for your own foolishness. You didn't plant relationships. You didn't plant with prayer. You didn't plant with sacrifice. You didn't plant with forgiveness. And you're wondering why you're tormented and have no relationships. Man, you better plant with forgiveness. You better plant relationships. You better plant with encouragement. You better plant in the community. And then you go, wow, I didn't know my life could be like this. You honor the small things. God cannot be mocked. We're not even my message right now. This is awesome. Okay. Um, Craig Rochelle says it this way. It's often the small things that no one sees that result in the big things that everyone wants. It's often the small things that no one sees that result in the big things that everyone wants. One more verse, and I, I feel like I need to share it. Song of Solomon 2.15. Catch all the foxes, those little foxes, before they ruin the vineyard of love. 
but the grapevines are blossoming. If I could just unpack uh, the, the essence of that, it's simply this, is catch the little foxes or else they'll ruin the whole batch. A little gossip can ruin a whole season. A, a, a little fox of unforgiveness can ruin a whole relationship. A, a little lie can destroy things. Catch the little foxes because they can destroy the whole thing. Have you ever seen somebody in a room and everybody's having a good time, but one person's not having a good time? Usually it's because a little fox got in their ear. Man, catch the little foxes. And then shoot the little foxes. Okay. Uh, <laughs> dang, that was intense. Yeah. yeah. I hate gossip. Uh, so Greg Rochelle says, uh, it's often small things that uh, people don't see that produce the big things that people want. And one of my favorite uh, coaches of all time is John Wooden. And John Wooden, uh, 11 championships. So everybody wants a championship. And then you actually find out, I read a lot of John Wooden books, I love leadership books, and of course I, I think he's, he's amazing, loves the Lord of course, and uh, I found out at their first practice, he would teach them how to put their socks on first. And then he would teach them how to tie their shoes. Because if you didn't put your socks on right, you could get a blister, and therefore you can practice, and therefore you can be what you're supposed to be, and then you couldn't even play. If you didn't tie your shoes right, you could even twist your ankle even easier and get blisters and have your, uh, have your feet get messed up. So the simple thing of putting your socks on right and tying your shoe correctly made a massive difference. And if I could just be honest, in Christianity, the seed and the yeast are two simple things that all of us should know how to take care of. The seed is the Word of God. You should know that you need to read the Word of God, and you should know how to read the Word of God. It is one of the most simple things, but one of the most powerful things in your life. We've got a little 365 journal we're going to uh, have out there in the lobby when we walk out, and I'll talk about it a little bit. But so many of us get saved, and then we just start living for Jesus. How can you live for Jesus if you don't even know Jesus? Get to know him through his Word. And again, I'll never forget, there's a pastor I just admired so much, uh, and this was about four or five years ago, and I'm like, man, how do you see scripture like that? How do you have so much joy? Where did you get that revelation? He said, my life changed when I started reading the Bible all the way through in a year. I did it cover to cover, and then I just started doing different read plans, and, and he goes, Tyler, if you read four to five chapters, you can read the Bible in a year. If you read seven chapters, you can read the Bible in four to five months. So that first year, I was so zealous. So I was reading seven to 11 chapters every, every day. I read through the Bible four times that year. And I at least started seeing transformation in my life. I remember it was the first time I saw God as father, not an angry general who was always going to be mad at me. I would weep when I would read about how he dealt with, it, uh, dealt with the prodigal. I was like, That's how you, I feel like if I messed up, you would destroy me. But it actually shows if I messed up that you would run to me. And you would want to redeem me. Right? Reading scripture every day is one of the littlest things that will create one of the greatest returns in your life. Yes? Amen? Second thing is... The Bible talks about sin. But a lot of us as Christians, our belief towards sin, you better have a belief towards sin. You better have an understanding of sin. If you think lightly of sin, you probably think lightly of the cross. If you think sin isn't that big of a deal, well, the cross probably isn't a big deal to you either. Because this thing called sin uh, that we see in the Bible, it is not an action. It is a condition. It is, it is a lethal condition that destroys people. So there's this moment in Mark. Let's look at it. Let's talk about the, let's talk about the yeast before we talk about the seed. Mark 8, 11 through 21 says this. When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had arrived, they came and started to argue with him, testing him. They demanded that he show them a miraculous sign from heaven to prove his authority. When he heard this, he sighed deeply. Stop. This is just bonus content even right now in this moment. Isn't it sad? Religious people love to argue. You hear me say this sometimes at church. Man, they're always itching where nobody's scratching. You know, oh, hold on a second, Jesus. What's your dispensational amillennialism, Calvinistic, um, uh, pre-trib, post-trib view? Because if we figure that out, we can save the world. What? That's going to be your question? How about the person down the street that's never heard the gospel? How about you tell them that Jesus came and died, lived the life they should have lived, died a death they should have died, and conquered the grave so they can have the life they never thought they could have? Maybe you should tell them that first before your dispensational, uh, Calvinistic, uh, amillennialistic view. I'm just going to be honest. 
So this is what the religious people are always doing. They're arguing with Jesus, arguing with Jesus, asking questions to Jesus. And again, if you're arguing more about Jesus than actually proclaiming the name of Jesus, you better check yourself. If you're arguing more about scripture than actually proclaiming the promises of scripture, you better check yourself. And so the Pharisees like to argue it. And Jesus sighed deeply because they were missing out. People are getting healed. People are, are encountering the love of God. People's lives are being transformed. And the Pharisees aren't enjoying any of it. All they do is want to argue. And Jesus sighs deeply over it. Goes on to say, why do the, I said check yourself before you wreck yourself. Um, why do these people keep demanding a miraculous sign? I tell you the truth. I will not give this generation any such sign. So he got back in the boat and left them. He crossed the other side of the lake. When the Pharisees, uh, uh, let's go on to uh, verse 14. Uh, but the disciples had forgotten to bring any food. They had only one loaf of bread with them. As they were crossing the lake, Jesus warned them, watch out. Everybody say, watch out. watch out. Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod. Stop. You'll see the term for sin, yeast or leaven throughout the word. You'll see in Corinthians. You'll see in the gospel a few more times. Why would Jesus, why would the word of God compare sin as this little itty bitty thing that you can't even see in bread? Why would God refer to it as yeast? What is he trying to show us? Now, of course, bread needs yeast. No picture is perfect uh, when it comes to trying to illustrate. But so, of course, bread needs yeast. But really, what is the function of yeast in bread? And if I could even start with talking about sin for a second, uh, one of the theologians gave a great picture. Some sin is really loud, and we all can agree on it. It's like a babbling brook. You can hear it. You can see it. We all know that's a sin. But the dangerous sins are that huge creek that just moves at a rapid rate, and you don't even hear it. It's the sin that's underneath that nobody's noticing that it's a destructive one. And some people in the house, if I'm being honest, the, the things you struggle with, you don't even know that it's lurking. You think you're not prideful and arrogant? And people around you are like, he's the most prideful and arrogant person I ever met. This is deep within. You don't even see it. And it's destroying your friendships. It's destroying your relationships. You may not know how bitter you are and unforgiving you are. You're like, I'm fine. But if you ask anybody around you, you're like, man, if you, I can see it. It is lurking and it is destroying the way you see church and see people. If I could just... Uh, unpack the, the yeast picture. It's very simple. Was, Shane is actually a baker on staff. He likes to bake bread, okay? Uh, so we have a, a baker on staff. So I called him. I was like, hey, unpack yeast to me. I was Googling it, but you know, I was looking at what theologians were saying, but I want to really understand it. So here's what basically what yeast does to bread. It helps it rise, of course, but then the yeast, what happens when it spreads, it starts to eat the sweetness from the bread. And so again, it's, it's not an action, it's a condition. And, and if you actually leave the yeast unchecked and you don't, don't actually handle it correctly, all the yeast can actually take all the sweetness out of the bread and make the bread inedible and not even uh, worth eating. Now let's talk about sin again. A lot of people picture sin like something that's in the corner, that you just have a choice and you choose when you want to do it. And you say, I'll ignore it when I want to ignore it. You need to know something. When you're ignoring sin, sin's not ignoring you. When you say, oh, I don't have to worry about sin, no, sin's going to try to destroy you. So this condition that is in your soul, the Bible says it likes to spread. So when pride gets in your soul and it starts to spread, guess what it does? It takes the sweetness out of things. It makes everything bitter. I'll use an illustration of Rachel and I's own life. I'll never forget it. We're in L.A. and uh, Rachel and I get married. And um, we both just were in a, a tough season of life. Like uh, we loved each other. We were having fun. But she was working 70 hours a week and her job was getting tough. And the church I was at it just wasn't a healthy church. If I could just put it that way. It was just an unhealthy church. Like the two churches I worked at back to back, they were just super unhealthy. The church before, the guy threw me against the wall, cussed me out, literally physically assaulted me. Okay, yeah, at church, he was a pastor. And I didn't grow up in church, so I thought all pastors were like Mr. Rogers, like, hey, Tyler, how you doing? Come here. I want to give you a hug. You're doing so good. Now be blessed. That's what I pictured. 
Instead, I got like Sylvester Stallone, Rocky Balboa, like, hey, I'm like, whoa, God bless you. Like, I didn't, I, I, and so you start getting bitter. You start blaming pastors. You start blaming, you start actually losing faith in the church and people. So then I go to the next church. Well, I'm at least, this other church, I at least didn't get assaulted, but still there were silos and gossip and people, yeah, my bar was pretty low. It's like, and y'all gonna kick me? And y'all gonna punch me? Okay, nobody's gonna punch me. Great church, fantastic. But then what happened is, I was like, man, I've never been in such a gross place where everybody is just trying to take everybody out. Like, what is going on? It was like a, a zero-sum game. Like, if you lose, then I win. That's not the kingdom. It was, it was this gross spirit. So I remember Rachel and I going, oh, man, we can't wait uh, to move. So we, we, we left that church, got to a new church. And to be honest, the first three months, we're like, okay, we're going to be better. We're going to be better. But the problem is that sin is not geographic. It's internal. And so we got to this new place. And this new place, and we had Monday, Tuesday off. No place is perfect, but it was good. Life was good. But for some reason, in about six months, we made all of it bitter. And we were bitter towards things. And I remember, I remember us sitting there, and we were like, almost started like, having this revelation. We're like, wow, our flesh, our sin, it can ruin everything. Rachel, we have Monday, Tuesdays off. We, we can go on adventures. We get to work together. We were working, you were working 70 hours a week. I was preaching five times. I got to see you a little bit on Saturday. And now we have this life, and we're still bitter. Because the problem is, is that sin is a yeast. It's not a thing that you can just go to a, a, a vending machine and walk away from it. It's not at a certain place. Wherever you go, there you is. A little bit of wisdom. Write that down. Right. You're welcome. And so if I could just be honest with you, if you keep on hopping places and all the places are bitter and terrible, it might be because your soul is bitter and terrible and you haven't dealt with some, some yeast in your, in your soul. Can I say another way? If you are struggling with lust, you think lust is not going to destroy something. Lust is not something you choose to do and you walk away from. Lust is like a yeast. What happens is it takes away the sweetness from everything that's supposed to happen in your marriage and the way that you look at women. So because you have allowed lust to just basically come, become a condition in your life, the more it spreads, and if you don't deal with it, you leave it unchecked, what happens is you don't even enjoy your spouse anymore because it takes all the sweetness out of your spouse and what, the, uh, what love and sex is supposed to be in your marriage. This is the reality of what sin does to mankind. Now, if I ended my message right there, it would be really depressing. So that's the yeast. You're welcome. All right. Good talk. Wherever I go, there you is. Good Sunday. Okay. Um, now, this is what I love. My wife just laughed at my joke. That means a lot to me. I heard you, baby. She thinks I'm funny. Um, but here's what's nice, is that Jesus doesn't talk about yeast. And this is what I love about the early church. The early church was very rarely talking about the state of the world. They were always proclaiming who came to the world. That's what I love about the gospel. The gospel isn't about everything we struggle with. The gospel actually who came to actually help us overcome that struggle. And so I love Jesus. Of course, there is this yeast that we need to take care of. We need to have a bleak towards sin. Sin is the, uh, not something that is just a convenient uh, inconvenience. It is something that destroys. It says in James that if we leave it unchecked, it will grow into death. But then the word of God is this thing that if we allow it to produce things in life, it will lead to life, an abundant life. And I don't know about you, but when you plant the right things in the right garden, the other things got to get out. When you, when you actually bring light, darkness has to leave. And so it says this in Mark 4. The first part of Mark 4 is him talking about these seeds being planted, and uh, basically they go on some, uh, some uh, cement, then the, some birds get it, some things get choked out, and all the disciples are like, okay, and then Jesus ends with this. He goes, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. And then the disciples, after they hear this parable, they go, we don't understand. <laughs> Good job, disciples. And, but here's what I love, and this is something I, I found in my studies this week. Most of the parables, Jesus would always actually use it as a filter for people actually who want to ask a question to really understand why, what he was saying. Questions aren't bad for God. He, he doesn't get mad at questions. 
Some of you are afraid to question Christianity and question Jesus. Man, if you've got questions, ask Jesus uh, questions. If you can topple Christianity, Christianity isn't that, isn't that great. If you can topple the king, it's not that great. But when you start asking questions, you'll find out that Jesus is king, Jesus is savior. Ask away and then find out a way, okay? Then Jesus said to them, if you can't understand the meaning of this parable, how will you understand all the other parables? The farmer plants seeds by taking God's word to others. The seed that fell on the footpath represents these who hear the message only to have Satan come at once and take it away. So it'd be like you coming today and you, you felt, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change. I'm going to live for God. And then you walk out on Monday like, I totally forgot what I was going to do today. Oh, yeah, change for God. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, that happens, though. I mean, literally, it's so funny to be like, hey, so what do you talk about on, on Sunday? It'd be Wednesday. I don't know. How was the movie you saw three years ago? Oh, Avengers 1? Let me tell you about Avengers 1. You know, the enemy's not trying to steal the memories from Avengers 1, but he's trying to steal scripture from you right when you walk out. The Bible says, guard it. It's, Avengers 1 is not bad, by the way. You can watch movies. I like Avengers. Okay. Um, Farm and plant seed by taking God's word to others. The seed fell on the footpath represent those who hear the message only to have Satan come at once and take it away. The seed of the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. All right, God, I'm going to say yes to you. This is what I call uh, like extrinsic faith. Like, like, like you, you say yes to God to get things. And so you're like, oh, yes, I say yes to that, 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 that God. But then when something bad happens, well, never mind. It's not going to work out good in my life all the time. I don't want God. And then there's intrinsic faith where, God, I want your scripture because I want you. I don't, want, I don't need I just want you. And that's what this next uh, seed is. The seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, the lure of wealth, the desires for other things, so no fruit is produced. And here's the good seed. Here we go. And the seed that fell on good soil represents those who hear and accept. Everybody say accept. Accept God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as they planted. Why would, we got to admit to ourselves that, that the choice of God using a seed is paradoxical. It's weak and strong all at the same time. It's just this paradoxical view of, of, of what it is. And if I'm being honest, like, Jesus could have said anything. The word of God is like a hammer. And when I say it, it gets your attention. And when you don't do something, I hit you over the head with it. And if you don't do it, I'm going to make sure that you feel it. Yeah, the word of God is like a hammer. And it's powerful. And you're going to, oh, if you don't listen to the word of God, you're about to get destroyed. He didn't say it was like a hammer. The word of God is like a lightning bolt. When you don't listen to the word of God, straight from the sky, fire, lightning bolts. So everybody's like, okay, I'm going to believe because if not, the word of God's like a light. No, he said the word of God is like a seed, not violent, but something to be received. If you ever planted a seed in a pot, it's got to go a little deeper. It can't go on the top. You got to allow the soil. And the soil, you don't even have to fight the soil. You just move the soil a little bit. You put the seed where it's supposed to go, and then you allow the seed to do what it's supposed to do in that soil. And show this picture of an acorn real quick. This is a picture of a seed. I don't know about you, but I mean, if you're the enemy and I took seeds and I was like, bombs away, here's some seeds. You're not like, oh no, not seeds, get out. Again, like he doesn't compare the word of God to like some explosive dynamite. He compares it to a seed. How, how is this the most powerful thing? But if I'm just, if I could unpack it this way, I think a lot of us discount the little things like a simple word of encouragement. We discount the little things of a simple word of death. Trust me, little things make big impacts. There was this uh, pastor in the late 1800s, early 1900s, uh, last name was Morgan. He talked about in Italy where there was these kings where they were buried. And there's huge marble slabs. I mean, 
so big that like, it would make you want to go see it. So people would visit the cemetery, massive, gorgeous marble slabs, and they would you know, have the name of the king, and people, it was a tourist attraction. And one day, one of those little acorns, one of those little seeds fell on top of the, um, uh, on top of the marble, and of course, you know, somebody just brushed it off, and it ended up going in the soil. And a century later, people would come to the same cemetery, and now there is this big, massive, go and put the tree real quick, there's this big, massive oak tree, that is right in the middle of that, that marble slab that's split it in two. So a little acorn dropped on, like at first you're like, oh, that slab, you ain't gonna do nothing to that slab. Just give the seed some time and see what it does to this slab. And if I could be honest, what's so amazing about even one seed, what happens is it births a tree, and now that seed of that tree, that birthed that tree, will now produce 100 seeds. It's kind of like the woman at the well, John 4. One woman gets saved, she goes to the village, and hundreds and hundreds get saved. It's amazing what one conversation can do, it could change a whole village. That's why one at a time is not some slogan. It's not some idea. We believe we can change the world one person at a time, one seed at a time, one plant at a time, one encouragement at a time, one verse at a time. It will change everything. Can I just tell you real quick? It doesn't matter how hard the marble slab is on your heart. If the seed of the word gets in your heart, it will shatter that hardness away. It will produce. And if I could just be honest, I love what Jesus says in John 12. He talks about that, that the seed must die to produce more. If it doesn't die, it will not produce anything. Do you know who the ultimate seed is? You know the ultimate word is? His name is Jesus. He had to die in a grave. He had to be planted in the grave. And look what he produced, you and I. Do you see what happens when somebody decides to be planted? Do you see what happens when the seed decides to go where it's supposed to go? I'll read it to you in John 12. It says this. I'll invite the worship team to come up. It says in John 12, 23 through 25, Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. So the seed's got to go to the ground and die. To be honest, the gospel is this thing where we actually have to destroy our flesh. The flesh must die so the spirit can live. The, the, the whole ethos is you must say no to God's rivals so you can say yes to the king. We're not very good at saying no to God's rivals. We want to say yes to God and yes to his rivals. And they're not even rivals, to be honest, but you know what I'm saying. So it goes on to say, uh, a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies. It remains only a single seed, but if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. The hour of the Son of Man has come to be glorified. He's saying, I'm going to go be this ultimate seed that will die in the ground and produce uh, fruit that nobody's ever seen. It's going to change the world. And it, if I'm being honest, some of you, what you really need to do in this next season is just die to self. Your own preferences, your own selfish indulgences, the way that you like to do life. You know what, just, you know, I, I want to serve, but it's just kind of inconvenient. Man, if I'm just being honest, if comfort is your goal, Christianity is not your aim. It just, it's, just not, it's just not for you. But if everything that you want, that God has for you is your goal, man, say yes to Jesus. Man, there's greatness in the stretch. There's fulfillment in the stretch. There's fulfillment in the process. I, uh, uh, I've been debating on sharing this. I shared it at the first service, so I feel like I don't want to leave you out. So let's go to James 1, 22 through 24, and we'll finish with this. Do we have a 365 read-through little pamphlet, by the way? Anybody? Boom, my man, thank you. So this right here, uh, I thought, if you're going to preach on the importance of the seed and the word of God, I thought we should at least give you a tool, and it's very simple. It will, uh, we're going to do it as a church, so I'm going to start tomorrow with you, and a year from now, we'll read through the Bible together. 15 minutes a day, 365, you read through the whole Bible. It's a big book. You'll be pretty proud of yourself. I was. I was like, I did it! I was like, so I was like, so I, was like, I did it! And some things you'll read, you'll be like, what just happened? Don't Google, because that doesn't help a lot either. Find a mentor. Get in a small group. 
But we want to make sure that you get this in your hand because I really believe that as you read your word, what I'm about to say I think is going to happen to a lot of us and it's going to be one of the greatest things that could happen. James 1, 22 through 24 says this. But don't listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are falling, uh, fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey it, it's like glancing in your, uh, at your uh, face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. Stop. So the word of God is compared to a seed. It's compared to a mirror. And if I'm just being honest, I don't like sad stuff. I don't watch sad movies. I don't watch scary movies. I don't like watching the news. Like Rachel and I, like even last week, like she wanted to watch Joker. So we turn on for a minute and he gets beat up in the beginning. I was like, I'm good, you know? And so we turn it off and uh, for a number of reasons, it's rated R and we're not sinners. And so, uh, uh, but I don't want to watch it. I just, I just don't, I don't like sad movies. Like give me Avengers and then watch me, I, have, I want to watch Thanos lose. I'm like, well, you did it. Way to go, Iron Man. You, you destroyed Thanos. I like those kind of movies, okay? Uh, I know, yeah, yeah, my bad, spoiler alert. If you haven't seen uh, Avengers yet, you need to see it. Uh, Iron Man dies. Anyways, um, uh, you're too late. You're too late to the game. You're too late to the game. You're too late to the game. Um, I'm dangerous, I'm dangerous. Uh, so anyways, uh, I, don't, I don't like sad things. I don't, I don't like reading sad news. And so even this story, I remember hearing it, it was just, it just upset me. Just how dark the world can be and how evil people can be. And it was about this little girl, Marina Chapman. She was uh, born in Columbia. She was four years old. And she was abducted by men and, and dragged into the jungle. They used chloroform to have her pass out. And they abused her, ripped her clothes off, and left her for dead. And this little four-year-old girl woke up, didn't know where to go. And she thought, well, I'll be rescued. I'll just sit here and wait. Nobody came. Day three, these monkeys come and show up and start kind of being aggressive. And they scratch at her. But because she's so meek and mild, they don't destroy her. You'll, you'll see this on National Geographic. The book's called The Girl With No Name. The, she lives in England now. She's in her 60s. It's, it's an amazing story. You'll see it on BBC also. And so she's there, and uh, these uh, monkeys are scratching at her. And because she's so meek, they actually leave her some food. This four-year-old girl in the jungle. This is how she's surviving. And then she sits there, and then the next day they show up, and she decides, you know what? I'm just going to follow these, I'm just going to follow them. And so she follows them and climbs a tree with them and watches how they drink water and get water. So she starts drinking water like them. She starts living like them. She loses her verbal skills, learns how to grunt, and literally starts living like the animals she's living with. Ten years later, she sees this little flickering thing on the ground. And she goes and grabs it and she looks at it and it shows her something and it scares her and she walks away and she didn't know what it was. And what she was seeing was she was seeing herself for the first time. She, she had no idea that she wasn't what uh, the monkeys were. She was actually a human being. And so she grabs again, she looks at it and she said, ever, saw, ever since I saw my face on that mirror, I was just so dissatisfied for like what I was doing. Like, this isn't what my life, this isn't how I'm supposed to live. And so then she was in the woods for months, but now instead of like running from things, she would listen and some hunters, she heard some hunters and some hunters saved her. So now she's in her 60s, she lives in England, she's a grandma. Her favorite thing to do with her grandkids is climb trees. Go figure. She's really good at it. That's her quote, not mine. Um, catch this real quick. You're gonna start reading the word. In this mirror, you're gonna see things that it says that you, who you are and how you're supposed to live and the promise of it. And you're like, no, I, I can't, whoa, I, uh, uh, I'm not that merciful. I can't be that gracious. No, I, I, know, I know it says in your word, God, that, 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 that the Pharisees, the evil people love those who are nice to them, but we're supposed to love those who are mean to us. I, I can't do that. Ah, no, you don't understand my boss. Or my, I, I can't love the, the ones that hate me. I can't do that. And you'll go back and look at it. Okay, this is who I'm called to be. I'm gonna love those who hate me. 
You start reading the word and you're going to see holiness and you're going to see fulfillment and you're going to see obedience and you're going to see discipline. You're going to see joy. You're going to see surrender. You're going to see sacrifice. You're going to see generosity. All these things, you're going to look in the mirror and you're going to want to walk away. But my prayer is in the 365, this little thing every 15 minutes, that you would see it and you would be dissatisfied with the world because now you know that you deserve, deserve heaven and not this world. That it would show you the promises of your life. I love, I love Marina Chapman's statement. Once I saw who I was, I did not want to be what I was. My past was gross to me. I was dissatisfied. And if I could just use one quick illustration, I didn't use the last service. I feel like I got to say for this one, every service is a little different, by the way. If you ever want to stay and hear a different message, that's how I do it. Um, Elijah comes up to Elisha, and this is just, this may be for one person in the house. Elijah comes up to Elisha, puts his yoke on him, his mantle, says, hey, come with me. Elisha understands now he is being called to a new life, to a new calling. Holy cow, wow. He was stewarding oxen and plowing, and now he's been called to go change the world. And I love what Elisha does. He doesn't go, okay, yep, okay, you're good. I'm going to leave my oxen here and my plow here. No, Elisha slaughters the oxen. He just, uh, cuts up his plow, sets it on fire as a tabernacle saying, I'm never going back. This is my new life. I'm not going back to this life. I'm destroying this life, and now I'm gonna go live the life I'm supposed to live. And some of you, you just, you're, you're so afraid to destroy what's been destroying you. Destroy it. And declare, this is not my life. I'm saying yes to my new promise. I'm saying yes to my calling. I'm saying yes to my invitation. I'm saying yes to coming home. Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.